This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back. Welcome in. This is Country Roads Confidential at Earsports.com, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network that rolls off the tongue. Now, I'm Mike Casazza welcoming in. Chris Anderson, Chris, we used to do this on Friday mornings. Uh, I think I know about you. I can't wait for the season to get started, so why even wait longer for a preview podcast? People, I think, will be traveling on Friday, so let's give them something to listen to as they make their way to College Park and not only go to a road game for the first time in a while, that's kind of an unusual thing for West Virginia fans, but I don't know, maybe have a like one of those old-school stadium takeovers, too. I'm with you. I think uh, – I. I want to give credit to where credit is due right off the bat. I'm already forgetting somebody's name here, but I saw somebody that posted the stats of uh, Maryland's top home games. And it's basically every home game for years, almost like for non-conference stuff, West Virginia has been the biggest draw for Maryland every single time. And I think that's, you know, one of the reasons, one of the reasons why there was such an emphasis of getting this game, Virginia tech, Penn state and, and Pitt back on the schedule uh, because these West Virginia fans travel so well, especially to play these teams that are still relatively close. Where would you rank Maryland in the hierarchy of must schedules in that that geographical bubble? Um, maybe overall, but I was going to give you a list. Pitt, Penn State, Maryland, Virginia Tech. I don't know. Do we even include Marshall anymore? Uh, I, I would put them third. I mean, I think Ooh. as far as like – I don't know. It's kind of up there. I felt like the games were a little because for me, Virginia Tech was always a big one, like really big one. I think, you know, that was like right there in my teen years and stuff when that in when that really got rolling and, and that rivalry between those two teams. And so I, I, I think I'd go hit Virginia Tech, Maryland. Out of those three, I mean, for me, Penn State, I feel like is a distant fourth just because there was such that. One, they dominated the series for so long. And then two, there was such a gap afterwards between when they're playing. Last year's game at Mountaineer Field canceled. I haven't checked on this in a while. I have heard of no such plans to reschedule that game. And if I look ahead, assuming that I wrote about this um, yesterday, assuming that they do indeed have three non-conference games and that they do indeed go FCS group of five power five the earliest they could play Maryland whether it's to get that game back or to start another series is 2028 mm-hmm. and from 2021 to 2028 that would be the largest gap in the series um going back to like when they were playing it like irregularly like in the 19 like 40s and 50s like they played every year from 1980 to 2007 took a couple years off every year from 10 to 15 um, so this gap is a long one, and the gap that follows could be a long one. Th- these two have, have been a fixture for a long, long time, and this Pitt, Virginia Tech, even Penn State, kind of a byproduct of um, expansion, realignment, just the business of college athletics now. Kind of sad because I've always liked this game. It seems like it always means something. It's it's feisty because of recruiting. Um, there are 
weird outcomes and like season makers or season ruiners. There, there are just some like natural and also like almost like supernatural stakes involved with this game. And I get that that's like that with law robberies. You could probably say something similar, but the games have been memorable, sometimes high scoring, sometimes a blowout. Know, it's just kind of weird to see this played once every so often now where I think a lot of people look forward to this, especially with it being the first game of the season. Did you notice that our Maryland site tagged me in a story that brought up uh, McBrien? No. <laughs> I was like, Jeff, why, why would you do that to me? That's going to bring back some bad memories from, for some WVU fans, mm-hmm. some really bad memories. Um, but I think that kind of – he encapsulates, like, everything that, that the people feel about this game, about this rivalry, and why it's so great, I think, and, and why people wanted it back so badly. And and I'm with you on the uh, on the schedule. I it, it, I kind of blanked on last year what they were supposed to play, and it got canceled because I was looking back and I was like, wait, last last time I, last time they played was like six years ago, and that was in Morgantown, and then it was neutral site. What what series is this part of? And it took me a good 15 minutes before I remembered this was a home and home where West Virginia is not getting the home apparently, at least for now. Correct. Mm-mm. Parma maybe because remember the the hurricane game, um, Lions like steadfastly was like we could make it up in the first weekend of December, but I plan to be in Dallas for the Big Twelve championship game. <laughs> and uh, we by the way we fulfilled our obligation. They played you know they're going to play here no problem. We're not we're not making uh, a schedule amendment in the future. Like it's a, it's unfortunate there was a hurricane, but they'll be here next year and that'll be that. And um, I don't know these things always come back around. It seems like too. I'm still going to keep peppering the Chick Fil A classic about. They, they kind of told me that they would do whatever they could to accommodate West Virginia and or Florida State in the future. And the earliest they could do that, I forget, was 2025. And they went like Virginia Tech, Ole Miss, something really strange. Um, yeah. And like there's there's almost no way for West Virginia to get back in that anytime soon. I think the the only one that made sense would have been 29, I think. They scheduled those games so far out and they're playing Tennessee in their neutral side game. So I keep tabs on these things, Chris. That may or may not surprise you. Uh, it, it does not surprise me at all. I'm surprised. Hey, do you have FOIA requests out for all of these, Michael? Are, are you friendly with all the FOIA officers all across every committee and, and team and bowl game and everything? Some more than others. <laughs> Some more than others. Here's what we're going to do. We will break down this matchup here at 3.30 p.m. ESPN in College Park, Maryland. Offense, defense, I don't know, may, maybe a little special teams. We'll see. But angles, aspects, stats, what you can expect to see which you might not expect to see or might otherwise discover. And then, Chris, we're going to try to briefly preview our travel rosters. If you're not familiar with this, we've done this for the last couple of years. Um, It's an old exercise I had just to try to figure out positions of strength, positions of weakness, surprises, pro or con about the roster, because for a road game, and not a neutral site game, but for a road game, you can only travel with 70 players. West Virginia is on the road, first time in a non-conference season opener since 1982. I think I've said that about a billion times now. So they get to travel with 70 players. And you think, well, 70, no sweat. They have, you know, in excess of 100, they have 85 on scholarship. Shouldn't be hard to do. Kind of is. At the very least, you're you're truncating your scholarship roster from 85 to 70. Granted, some of us are freshmen or, or people who are at this stage are just a, just a guy and aren't, aren't able to travel right now. But Stuff walk-ons who are good. You have to factor in special teams and stuff like that. So it actually becomes a pretty fun and maybe frustrating exercise to trim, you know, 100 plus 85 down to 70. And you also get a look at the roster because you can maybe fill me in here briefly before we get into it. But I discovered some soft spots that I was not prepared for. 
that kind of go against maybe conventional wisdom. And then, you know, some things that you realize with an injury or a game time decision that are a little more perilous than you maybe previously were aware of. I, I can tell you, I mean, I'm, I'm a little more interested to talk about it than I think maybe I was last year. I think last year, last year we dedicated an entire podcast to it and we went on for it for a while and it was a thing and and people were interested in it. It was a good conversation. We had a lot of fun with it. I, but for me last year, I felt like, Oh yeah, here's 65. I think of whatever it was and whatever, I guess here's another five. Don't care. This year I had a, 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 like you said, it kind of brought up more uh, issues. It, it, brought to light some things I hadn't really thought of um, or well, I thought of them, but were maybe even worse than I thought. And then I just started laughing as I was debating five or six or seven specialists on my travel roster. Cause yes. I, I knew you'd just be absolutely giddy about that. And I didn't want to give you that. I just didn't want to give it to you. I mean, I had to make some decisions, and, and then there's some some stuff on there that, all right, if I do bring, let's say, for example, an extra kicker, you, you might be short a defensive lineman or a receiver or something like that. But if you have a receiver who can hold, man, that frees up a spot for maybe an extra defensive back or an extra, I don't know, linebacker or something like that. So when you hear coaches talk about you know cross-training and versatility, yeah, it helps on the field, but it also helps getting people on the bus, too. And by the way, they're busing to this game. Um, been a while since they did that for a game. Which is probably okay because I'm sure that by the end of the season they'll be tired of charter flights. So, anyways, that'll be at the end. We'll wrap it up. We'll briefly go over them and then we'll reveal our 70 player roster later in the week. In the meantime, challenge you to to use our intel and our our processes to kind of maybe put together yours and see if you can reach your own conclusions, agree or disagree with ours. A little bit of a twist on what we've done in the past, um, but I, don't know, I thought that might be different here. As I know, Chris, we seem like we're trying to change up and tinker with everything here. <laughs> we'll no. see. If it works. Yeah, I think it's a good time to try things out. People are interested. People want to see new things, and um, we got a lot to talk about. I mean, just we were before we even hopped on this podcast. You and I were talking about all the things that we have, content items that we have up already this week, and are going to be putting up. And it's like, hey, I, this is almost too much. So like, we don't know where to put it, what to do with it. Um, but hey, it. it it's what's going on. So that's what you're going to get. You're going to get all you can. And, and we're going to keep trying different ways to, to get all that information to you. Speaking of a lot going on and then changing things up, the prevailing theme of this opener here is, and maybe you've heard this, Chris, new offensive coordinator, new defensive coordinator, new special teams coordinator, a five-game season to draw upon, the guys who will be calling plays, maybe maybe not on offense as much, but certainly their offensive coordinator will influence things. Having called plays in a long, long time, that could be interesting for defense more so than special teams, but just a lot of new blood, and they're going to be lining things up differently than maybe they have in the past. And again, you only have five games. I think if you talk to most players and coaches, you're going to look at the most recent four games. That's usually within a season, so you're kind of studying coaches and who's calling it more so than maybe players in some situation. The promising thing for West Virginia, uh, Maryland has one of the most experience-laden teams, uh, returns 85% of its production, only nine teams bring back more. So there is a bit of a guessing game. You know, what will um, the defensive coordinator do? What will happen on special teams? Uh, How will Mike Loxley be influenced by his new offensive coordinator? But players are players. They have a whole lot of them back. 
Um, I don't know. Which way do you lean toward? Is it more of an unknown because of the coaching or is it a little bit more uh, honed in because they have so many players back? And if you look at it, you can realize what they can do. And a new coach especially would be smart to focus what he calls around. I think what we can say is a wealth of returning talent. Well, one, I think it's it's still an unknown. And two, I'd question if it's a wealth of returning talent. I mean, I get it. It's 80. What did you say? 86 percent, 89 percent. 85 uh, on total, 86 on offense, 84 on, de- 84 on defense, yes. Yeah, so they're returning that much that played five games last year. Like, that's not even half a season in a normal circumstance. So I don't, uh, you know, that's half of what West Virginia played. Mm-hmm. So I, how much do you dis- say discount that 85, 86%? Do you, you know, is, is it better to have 85% returning from a five-game season or better to have, uh, I'm trying to think of what West Virginia's number was, like 68% from a 10-game season. I don't know because we see guys develop and change their game, and we've seen teams you know, become almost, almost like a different team after a handful of games. So I'm not even sure what we can take from the five games we saw last year, especially with – I mean, they got smoked by Northwestern. Smoked. That's one of the strangest scores of all last season. And I remember, I think I, I think that game, this was the start of my, not the start of my demise, because we were several weeks in of my demise in the charity bets. And after that game, I said, why am I betting on Mike Loxley? Have I not learned my lesson? He's terrible. Next week, they come out and beat Minnesota, who I believe at the time was the top 15 team, top, you know, top 25 at least, I think, at that point. And I, I was stunned. Then they come and beat Penn State, who we later find out was not actually that good. And so I'm not sure what we take from this Maryland team and what we saw last year and how much five games means when you talk about 85% returning. West Virginia was 19 in the country, 81% total, 82 on offense, 81 on defense. And I got to think that that 81 on defense is lower because this is from February. This is the ranking that they're using. And that's for Tyke Pooler for sure. Um, before those guys left. So, again, that's a really good point. I mean, yeah, experience of five games, and they were not their best um, versus West Virginia, 10 games. And uh, I don't know, you, you lose some top-heavy talent, but I think the the fate of West Virginia will be ultimately decided this year by, again, maybe not 1 through 11 on the side of the ball, but maybe like what 12 through 18 can give them because they're going to need depth. And I think they, they believe they're in position to have depth. And if those guys got some reps last year and they're ready to go, you have a more robust roster there too. Um, let's begin on offense. It's going to start with uh, Tagovailoa, and we already said this. I don't know really what to expect from the quarterback. We'll see. Um, but mobile, big um, arm, mm-hmm. pedigree, no quarterback controversy, none. It's going to be him, and I guess he could throw it to the wrong team a couple of times. He's not coming off the field, especially at home in that first game. Um, way worse positions to be in than Maryland is right now, too. But again, a, a lot of unknowns here with him as well. Missed the game last year. Got better, but was was erratic. I think maybe the, the last name works against him sometimes. Never mind that he was so successful at Alabama, his older brother. But he's also in the NFL now doing things. And you automatically assume, well, little brother's got to be just as good. Not, but right-handed, mobile, big arm, plays similar. But um, I don't know. It's it's a really nice piece to have on offense. I am... It, yeah, you're right. We talked about this in the last pod about him kind of being up, down. I'm, I'm tr- currently not as we speak, but um, because we're recording this a day earlier than than we did last year, 
still doing my research for my three key ma- matchups here, trying to find, I'm trying to find the common factor here on how that happens. Now, one of it is pressure. Like every quarterback, not as good with pressure as he is without it. But he is egregiously bad with pressure, very bad with the deep ball. And they had two great games and two horrendous games. And I'm going back, I'm looking at the the um, defensive lineups for the other team, trying to figure out if there was a com- commonality there. But no, you know, one of one good game against 4-3 and one good game against 3-4 and, and vice versa. And But what I am seeing is that when these teams were pressuring him, when they were getting pressure, and it looks like I'm trying to find the pressure direction, but I think it's coming up the middle. Yep. That's what did him in. And he seems to get, and this is, he's a young quarterback. So it's kind of one of those things you expect from a young quarterback. But you get that pressure up under the middle, all of a sudden you lose a little bit of that vision down the field. You lose that safety over the middle because he threw seven passes deep over the middle, four interceptions. Amazing. And I, I, I feel like that's just one of those situations because in the middle, that's one of those things anybody that you know has played the sport or I don't want to compare the actual sport to video games, but where you feel like something's open over the middle, but you kind of forget about that other safety or that linebacker that drops back. And I think he's getting that pressure and he loses track of that other safety. And that's why he has such a high, that's an insanely high interception rate. I know it's a small sample size, but Four interceptions on seven deep passes over the middle. That's crazy. He's five foot 11. That also might contribute to that. Yes. Pressure at the middle. Um, West Virginia is going to send, you know, six, four, six, five guys at the middle at, at, to him. And you know, I, that's just going to be a factor there. I too, his deep numbers, um, since you touched on it on throws of 20 plus or more six for 20. Yeah. Not good. Not good. <laughs> <laughs> and again, like you're looking at turnover worthy plays. This is charted by Pro Football Focus. Seven turnover worthy throws on 20 passes deep. That's a big number there, too. And he doesn't do it a lot. Um, as with most quarterbacks, blitzed under pressure, not as good as when he's clean. When he is clean, though, no pressure. He threw four picks, only through seven. So when he's under pressure, and I believe the three are not yet. Yeah, here we go. Under pressure, three, not one blitz. So just when you can create pressure, three interceptions. But when he's clean, no pressure, good pocket, four picks. And again, I'm I'm going to assume those are probably those deep throws down the middle. You're not going to get a deep throw down the middle if you're under pressure or being blitzed. So um, listen, is height one thing? Is it mobility? Is it getting out? Is it just inexperience? We'll see. But uh, again, just 20 throws, 20 yards or more. Again, five games. So that's four a game. That's not a bad number. Actually, he only played four. So five a game that's not a bad number but you're also talking about a turnover a game two on that and then you know between one and two throws that are going the other team's way or have a chance going the other team's way those are those are drive killers game killers um, those are those are bad things there too pressure they really try to keep him out of it we'll get into the offensive line and whether or not they can here especially in the middle but just his um his passing i guess maybe the concepts there too screens a ton of screens uh, through 141 passes, 21 were screens, uh, no play action, 110 of the time. So 110 times out of 141, another 21 on screens. They're not letting him hold the ball a whole lot in his pocket. And your time to throw on a screen is 1.8 seconds, uh, no play action, 2.84. Um, so he's moving around a little bit there, but they really try to keep him moving the ball and a ton of parallel throws or short throws, not a whole lot down the field, not a whole lot intermediate too. 
Yeah, but again, what is that? That's his first real year of getting anything, and it was four games of a COVID year. So it's it's hard to be like, all right, that's definitively what it is, what he is. And and what what are we saying he definitively is? Because even in that four game sample size, he looks like a wildly different quarterback from game to game. Yep, I agree. Again, he could get better. That's the game, right? Just improve, and you can. We we may have a hard time predicting what they're going to do with new coordinators, especially on defense. It's because you have a new guy calling it. offense. We think it's going to be a lot of Michael Oxy, but you can look at what they did and didn't do well last year. And they might abandon some things they didn't do well and lean on what they did do well. They threw screens and quick stuff really well. They didn't go deep very well. That might be a part of the game plan. Let's not press it very deep. We think West Virginia is probably going to have a good back end of the secondary. if not a good secondary. Uh, you know, we're not sure about, you know, the will linebacker. We're not sure about the bandit and coverage. Can the cornerbacks, Daryl Porter, Come up and tackle. We'll see. Let's get those guys chances to make plays against them. I think you probably expect a lot of quick stuff out there, too. Um, pressure, Chris. Really good point. Offensive line, very good left tackle. I think NFL tools is, is pretty much the consensus opinion of him. Right tackle experience as well. Those guys have started and played a lot. Um, their left guard is really green. Did not play very much before last year and then not much last year. Their right guard was actually their left guard and started every every game last year. Their center is a junior college transfer who is Caleb Coleman's teammate at Hutchinson. Their backup right guard might actually be their center. If that happens, if the center starts winging him or wobbling him, maybe the right guard becomes a center and your right guard position is compromised. My point being, the giant fluorescent arrow is going to be over guard, center, guard on the Maryland offensive line. Did you, this is related, so I don't think I'm going completely off track here. Did you take anything from the fact that the depth chart released by the school no longer calls the position a nose tackle or a nose guard for West Virginia and instead it's two defensive tackles and a defensive end I I think that they were just so frustrated by having to completely um, redefine the position every time we were in interviews like what are you gonna do about nose guard well we're not really using a nose guard well the depth chart says nose guard okay screw it we're taking nose guard off the depth charts and now we have (laughs) and tackle tackle End of conversation right there. And Jordan Leslie probably has his day in the sun. But yeah, that's that's a definitive change from what they had before. They, they they weren't using really a nose guard last year. They were adamant they were not going to have a problem replacing the nose guard this year because they don't have a nose guard. They have two defensive tackles. And now that it's on paper, um, you know, who who knows what a depth chart is worth in a lot of aspects. But right there, there's value in there. They're, they're officially tackle, tackle end. Well, that leads me to my question. Which one of those tackles tackle tackle or end is going to be the one that's lining up over center do you think he's going to be right over center like a traditional three five do you think he's going to be off shoulder um you know to the left or the right in the the one of the gaps um or do you think it's kind of a sign of it's going to look a lot more like a four-man front and he's he is going to be there's gonna be two guys wedged in those gaps between the guards and center i love it We're, we're thinking the exact same thing here because tackle nose guard and indicates that one of those guys is going to be in the middle. You're not playing your nose guard outside of your defensive tackle or outside of your defensive end, because then that tackler end becomes your nose. Well, now you just have tackle tackle end. no one is saying that Dante stills won't be in the middle. He could. And again, if they're talking about being versatile and, and, and explosive and using your gifts on the defensive line, that absolutely involves Akeem Mesidor playing outside as maybe that, that outside tackle more so than end, but I really like Akeem Mesador up against a guard trying to get around that guy um, more so than maybe a guard in the center. I think there's ways you can do it. And again, you know, Linnell Carr thing is very interesting. Have you been following this? Mm-hmm. 
Is he a bandit? Yeah. Is he an end? Also, yeah. Does that guy play, you know, in, in some pass rush situations or some passing down situations? Is he an end opposite of Austin? And your tackles are Stills and Mesador? Maybe. We'll see. Um, could you have Jalen Thornton or Jordan Jefferson inside with Dante Stills and then, I don't know, Mesador and Austin outside of then? Yeah, I think there's a way you can see some even front stuff. I'm not sure that maybe Cowan or Bartlett can do it. But Bartlett got pretty big. I think I mentioned that before. Cowan is big. He's just a big guy. I think there's more hand-off-the-ground guys, but I think you can see even front stuff with a car or somebody from that tackle position kicked out. But I think you're absolutely right. There's there's no indication that Stills can't play in the middle or that Mesador won't play outside. I I was going through looking at the detailed kind of breakdown of where these guys played. And, you know, one, Dante lined up. Uh, you, you break it down. Not, yeah, oh, defensive line or in the box. And, okay, most of them are there in the, on the defensive line. But then you got for the detailed positions of where exactly they line up on the line, you know, whether it's over, over the center, like a nose guard or a nose tackle, or whether it's off to the side or all the way out on the edge, he lined up in three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine different positions. Granted for the majority of those snaps, it was uh, two of them, which was over the left tackle or over the right tackle. Um, Bessador, same thing. You got eight different positions plus four more as a quote unquote linebacker in the box, different types of linebackers. So these guys are lining up all over the place. I think that's kind of going to be the way they're going to be moving guys left and right uh, in the middle outside. They're going to be trying all sorts of different things. I, I, I almost want to feel like this is, this is the new or on the depth chart. We're just going to call everybody defenders, defensive line. No one's a, no one's an end. No one's a tackle defender. That's it. I love it. Again, it's, it's a perfect, it's design deception, I guess. They could do a whole bunch of things with it. That, that, that's probably going to happen, too. And again, we think about personnel packages. We think a lot about, you know, taking out a linebacker for a defensive back or taking out a safety for a corner. Defensive line is going to be diverse and help them do a bunch of things here, too. Anybody, anything about the offensive, excuse me, the, the running back situation perplex you? I've been following this in the preseason. They have talent. Um, their depth chart does not reflect what I thought was going to happen there. No, you tell me what you're thinking. For Maryland, you're talking about, right? Correct. Uh, they got big dudes at running back. They're 220, 225, 245, 270. Like they're, they legitimately recruited a 270-pound running back from D.C. who was a pretty good player. Um, I don't think he's going to play a lot this year. He's probably going to get that number down. But incumbent players like Penny Bone, um, excuse me, Boone, um, their starter is going to be a big guy. But like they, they have players. Roman Hemby was a freshman they really liked. Isaiah Jacobs is a backup. Um, again, I mentioned Boone. They have players, but their backups will walk on. Is that injuries? Is that earned? Is that deception? I don't know. That was strange to me. Well, they are a team that, you know, again, they recruit a lot of things. I don't. I think it was obviously always going to be um, Fleet Davis there at the beginning. Absolutely. But to see that backup as a freshman or as a walk-on, um, and, and with four-star recruits and all these guys that, that Loxley brings in, Without knowing the ins and outs there in College Park, you know, my first thought is, is this a motivational tactic or is this really what's going on? And I don't know. I, I, Fleet Davis is good, but that, that backfield is not very experienced. So it's it's not – I don't think that's going to be a strength for them offensively. I am very confident that you can look up and see like 31 to 17 – in the fourth quarter, and Shailen Fa'amatu 
is running wild. And all of a sudden you're like, he has 160 yards. What happened? I never heard of this guy before. Why is the walk on <laughs> killing our team? Uh, yeah. it, that could just be, again, just a weird thing happens sometimes in these games. And that could be it. But listen, he's, he's 5'11", 225. He's a very good player in junior college um, at Coffeeville, but came from Hawaii, which sometimes it's hard to find players in Hawaii, even though you have the Tagovailoas and, and guys like that, that, Again, maybe maybe Mike Boxley had a clue about this guy. I'm not sure. But I think when you look at people who are probably going to play, listen, you mentioned Tayon Fleet Davis, good dual threat player. Uh, Penny Boone's 245. They liked him a lot. Colby McDonald's a freshman they really like. Roman Hemby's a freshman they really like. But I think those guys have missed time or just doing freshman things. Over or under, three and a half players getting handoffs Saturday for Maryland. Getting handoffs? So we're not counting not counting quarterback. Uh over under three. I'm just. Can I push and just say it's three? You can't push three and a half, Chris. Oh, I thought. Okay. Well, under, I think it's gonna be three. <laughs> I thought you said three. Yeah. My bad. So I went under. I said I think it's gonna be three. Okay, I could see four. Again, um, we'll see if they're passing the ball. I don't know. Anybody scare you on offense that we have not mentioned? And I'm, I'm probably leading towards somebody here. Well, if you're leading me somewhere, Mike, take me there. Take me all the way. Go. Rakeem Jarrett, got to be, right? Speedy yeah. slot guy, slippery. Um, don't believe the hype so much on him. I think when you think about a guy who's a top five, top ten receiver, a five-star player, I believe, right? Um, yep. Yep. You think, oh, my God, burner. And you think about guys that, again, this is unfair, but Loxley, Alabama, you're thinking some of those players they put in the NFL. Um, slot guy who was 0 for 1 when targeted deep down the field last year. So he does a lot of his stuff on quick stuff, inside screen slants, but – a lot of attention to him. Challenge for, you know, Scotty Young, maybe Charles Woods, perhaps West Virginia matches up and puts a line or cornerback inside. And maybe we see Woods play outside and, and Nick Troy Fortune plays inside. I don't think we'll be that exotic, but you get my idea. Maybe they match up and make sure that they don't get exploited because Maryland does do a lot of pre-snap stuff too, especially when they get into third downs. So that's a guy they're going to want to position. But Demas is the guy that I think gets overlooked. He's a pure outside guy, right side. Targeted a bunch, especially down the middle. He's the guy that that Tagovailoa does look for down the middle in the deep stuff. Um, but again, not a whole lot of success there. Just uh, what are my numbers here? Two for nine when targeted deep down the middle. But nine targets for 20. That's the guy that he kind of looks for there. I think the safety blanket probably is Jarrett because why not? But when there's a chance to go deep, it's Demas. And then your other receiver is Sean Jones. They have talent there. We'll see probably a, a fleet of receivers in there too as well. But I thought the numbers on Jarrett were, were interesting once you looked at him because the rep is such that he's probably a great explosive player, but I mean, he's got to do something. He's got to catch and then do something after it. And I think if you're the defense, you like your chances there. You're not chasing him because he got behind your corner of safety. You're chasing him because he, he broke three or four tackles, and I think West Virginia will take their chances there. Yeah, and I think – but I'm, I'm with you, though. I think he's going to be the guy that they focus on offensively because if you are game planning, if you're looking at this from a Maryland perspective – and you're thinking, where do I want to attack this West Virginia defense? It's probably not the experienced all-conference caliber pair of safeties that are on the back end. You know, I'm not, I'm not thinking I want to try to beat those guys deep over the middle, especially since we've already gone over the fact that they struggle to throw the ball deep and over the middle. So I think you're going to see some some short, quick stuff to like quick hitters, kind of like to Jarrett. I don't want to say like Tavon, but just get in his, his hands and space and hope that he could do something. That's what I would be planning for if I were Maryland. Chigazim Okonkwo. Mm-hmm. Sat out last year, back. 
hear nothing but good things about him. Tight end. Um, have a freshman they really like. They have a lot of tight ends. Uh, they converted a receiver who some quiet praise about him. Um, a really athletic kid, 6'1", 219, Corey Dykes. That just seems like a guy that is going to get open in the seam, something like that. I bring this up because West Virginia defensive philosophy against tight ends has always been brought up, but Maryland's passing game coordinator is also the tight ends coach. Who's going to have the ear of the person calling the plays more than the <laughs> tight ends coach? And what is the passing game coordinator going to say? Hey, coach, get my tight ends involved. They'll never see it coming. Um, you think he's going to be playing favorites, huh? I think that that's probably a natural thing. Like, he's like, yeah, throw it to the running backs. And the fullbacks had a nice camp. No, throw it to my tight end. This guy sat out last year. They'll never see him coming. This guy's a converted receiver. They'll never see him coming. Uh, and again, it's, it's, it's cliche, but you're in perpetual fear of a tight end if you're a West Virginia defender, I think. It's happened so many times throughout the years. It's crazy to think it couldn't happen again. You really want me to talk about tight ends? Nope. I can't do it. I can't I do I it. it. <laughs> I can't. Um, all right. Prepare your ears. We're going to take a break. If the apology, if the apology comes because the uh, volume is too high, you've been warned. Um, you can't get mad at me if the volume is too high because I have warned you. We'll be back after this. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back, Chris. Wrapping up our preview here. Let's go to the defense. Again, this is the mystery, I think, more so than the offense because almost a tale of two seasons. Um, a ton of points their first two games, but they surged toward the end. Um, didn't win all their games, but handled, I think what we could say was a pretty good Indiana team. And then beat Rutgers. All your PFF rankings for those, excuse me, ratings for those final two, three games are impressive and they escalate. A lot of talent. A lot of returning players, people who maybe who are stepping into new spots. They're big across the defensive front, and we haven't even mentioned the key to their defense. They're secondary here, too. If I if I had to be more worried about one side of the ball, offense or defense for Maryland, I would be worried about the defense. Yeah, I think that that's secondary. We're, we'll talk about it. They'll get plenty of uh, publicity. That's something to be concerned about. Um, they're, they're very good. Let's start uh, here. You go ahead. Let's start in the back. Defensive yeah. secondary, or it, it's it's. I thought it was going to be maybe as good as any they had seen. That I wondered if I was drinking my own Kool Aid. Um, the coaches said that the other day. I'm like, listen, th- there may be better secondaries, or maybe good secondaries. There's not going to be a whole lot better than this one, and it's our first test of the year. They expect a lot of man to man press coverage. It looks like they have the personnel to do that too. A number of cornerbacks who can do it, and also two really good safeties. Well, I was going to say Tarheep Still, who. Man, West Virginia fans are going to remember him, and I know the coaches do because he is somebody that they had on campus and were ready to um, take a commitment from him. It was a big weekend. He was there. Uh, they got several commitments that same weekend that he was in town, and he ended up not being one of them. And I, I, I heard, and this was not confirmed by a capital S source, but um, it, it was there were several defensive backs there that sa- at that same weekend and the staff got a commitment from one who I believe at the time was David Vincent O'Coley. I'm trying to remember my timeline here. And then they got a semi-promise 
from another at the same time. And someone told me that still might have got put on the back burner or not necessarily the back burner, but just wasn't he wasn't number one on the list. And now to see him right there in Maryland and guys, a sophomore had eight pass breakups last year in just what four. Did he play all five games? I think he played all five games Two a game, four games. Yeah. Oh, four. Yeah. He only played four of the five. So he is um, he's a talent for sure. And that's not somebody that I would want to be attacking. If I were West Virginia, they're going to move him around too. He's he's a backup corner and a backup slot corner too, or he's an or corner and or slot corner too. So again, mix and match stuff there. Will he will he follow Winston right around? Will he you know will he jump to one spot when there's four receivers on the field instead of three? We'll see. That's a weapon right there too. And they have they have two other guys that really like a corner. They're 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 good there, and they're going to be they're going to be physical. Do you like West Virginia's chances playing man or press man against that secondary? Mm. We're going to find mm. out about the deep ball right away, aren't we? Yeah. I think so. I, I think on that first drive, you're going to see at least one deep shot. And I think, you know, I, I think they'll try to avoid um, still and, and going over the middle. I think it's going to be kind of your traditional uh, sideline fade to uh, Bryce Ford Wheaton on the left-hand side. But I wouldn't want to push my luck. I'd want to get it down the sideline where it's either – uh, your receiver catches it or it goes out of bounds because that's not a secondary that I would want to mess with, especially deep. Yeah. Uh, I I think you're going to see them play four receivers a bunch. We don't know about Mike O'Loughlin. Mm-hmm. I haven't heard a whole lot about that, but man, if they're not sure about him, I don't know how much he's practiced if he's even practiced. My, my point being that how many tight ends can you put out there if you only have you know two who ever played in the game and one of them is Charles Finley who barely played. You might see a lot of, you know, Four wide receiver stuff, which means they're going to have to go cover one, one safety deep. That safety may be a really good safety. could be Jordan Mosley. could be Nick Cross. But they're going to have to guess on one side of the field. And I would watch, again, I'd watch for something like that. I think West Virginia might try to go to that early. Try to go four wide, see how they adapt, see if you can get them out of playing man by being successful against them. And you're right that those running those nine routes and the streaks up the sideline, that's cool. Neil Brown loves the, the slot post outside. It's almost like a fade, but... I would be shocked if early on we don't see something where Winston Wright is running out of safety and then is going up the hash and then angles outside. And then that's like a, a just between the hash and the sideline, he gets to run under it. If that's not early on the play call sheet, I'd be very surprised. But again, got to take your chance against him. You can't let them dictate from their strength, attack it early. And, you know, what, what have we talked about with Daigie for so long? Deep balls, accuracy. Hey, roll the dice, see what happens. See what you got on the, on the table there and see if you can win with that hand. That was an oddly specific play call there, Michael. You don't think you see it? <laughs> I do see it. I do see it happening. And and if you're going to do that, I mean, one, you're right. He he does he does like those plays. He does like to hit the slot. And two, I think those are probably uh, that I think Winston Wright, maybe even Sam James, when Sam James is in the right mindset, those might be his two best pass catchers. So those probably want to be the two guys you want to go to. Um, Maybe trying to break the seam routes always can turn, you know, nothing into something, something big as well. So it might be something you want to try, especially early to try to get a big play. And then again, for receivers, you can count Letty Brown as a receiver, too. You can do a lot of stuff there. Again, maybe he's running against a safety. Maybe they catch him in a matchup with a linebacker, too. If you're playing if you're playing just that one high safety because you're matching up with four defensive backs against four receivers, 
you're going to either have to commit your safety or a linebacker, your extra safety or a linebacker to Letty Brown. Um, I'd be surprised they commit a safety to Letty Brown. That wouldn't make any sense because then you're risking everything. Uh, your cover is zero at that point. But Letty Brown against a linebacker, I love that, especially early in the game. We'll see. Again, that's stuff they've talked about. Could he do it? Um, don't know. Uh, pass rush, defensive line. Listen, we, we've talked about Maryland's offensive line. Let's not act like that West Virginia's offensive line can throw stones. Not a glass house necessarily, but what is it proven? Don't know. Left tackle, we know who that is. Left guard, didn't have a great season last year. Center, as much as Zach Frazier played last year, center's still kind of new to him. Um, Doug Nestor, right guard, first snap with his new team. Could be why Milam, true freshman out, right tackle. There's enough reason to be concerned there against pass rush, and they have some players and some success. And when their defense was good last year, they were, especially late, they were destructive. Anybody, anything that you were able to extrapolate, Chris, to explain why they were good when they were good. And does it give you concern against West Virginia's protection? It, it gives me a lot of concern about West yep. Virginia because, I mean, the tackle position, this is basically two years in a row that West Virginia is kind of breaking in at least three spots and 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 especially on the edges. I don't want to take anything away from Brandon Yates, um, but he, he didn't start a, a what two games there and he was okay, goodish, okay, maybe slightly below average, but pretty darn good for a freshman, a retro freshman. So, you know, don't want to take anything away from him. But and then on the right tackle spot, there you are breaking in somebody brand new that, again, either way. I mean, I know Parker Moore stepped in and, and looked pretty good, but most of his his, his uh, good plays last year when he came in in relief of John Hughes were in run blocking plays, were run blocking. He graded out extremely high as a run blocker, um, slightly above average as a pass blocker. And again, those are limited snaps. So it would concern me that that's happening again. And as you noted, you know, James Gemitter, what I think two starts last year and backup where he was only playing about 15, 15 or so snaps a game. Zach Frazier moving from left guard back to center. Doug Nestor, brand new. I mean, the the most, uh, if you don't count the move back to center, I guess you say Zach Frazier is your most experienced lineman right now. Mm-hmm. That's, you know, a true sophomore who's changing positions as your most experienced lineman at West Virginia in this scheme with this offense. Uh, that's not ideal, but for all the reasons we kind of just talked about there, that the, the, these are all the, yeah, but kind of things that, that make it negative. But then there's also the positive of, yeah, but Doug Nestor was a starter at Virginia tech that graded out as one of the best linemen in the country, several different weeks. Yeah. But Brandon Yates was a true fre- or a retro freshman last year who started eight games and was not terrible. Mm-hmm. Uh, he wasn't great, but he was a redshirt freshman that was okay. Uh, James Gemitter had to deal with COVID last year, missed the game, lost the spot, uh, You know, kind of had to regain his strength, also was going through becoming a father, all this stuff going on in his life, and now he's back. He, I think you know, he's getting a whole offseason, should be good to go. And he, Before that, he was expected to be, I don't want to say the best lineman on that team, but pretty darn close to it if he wasn't. So there's a lot of good things, good possibilities for this line, but they're going to get tested right off the bat. What strikes me about their defensive line is the starting end is a six-year senior, 6'1", 290, playmaker. Their nose, 6'2", 330. His last name is Finau. Insert joke here. Uh, the other tackle, 6'2", 305. And then they play the jack, which from what I can tell is kind of like your bandit. Um 
and they have an or there, 255 and 275. They're both 6'4". They're big. Um, they're linebackers in the traditional sense, 225, 222, but 240? I don't know how much those linebackers are going to play. Um, I don't know how much that we won't, how many times we won't see an extra defensive back on the field, maybe two, just because I think West Virginia loves its speed. I don't know how much we'll see the tight end. Um, and if you look at the way their their personnel is situated, those are those are big numbers. Is it is it a Big Ten defense, Chris? To like to, because I don't even think the Big Ten is like Big Ten anymore. You see so many spread offenses there and so many aired out offenses that. Um, an awful run defense last year. And I just wonder if they got outflanked because they are so big and, and the presumption would be slow. And just like I said, got outflanked on things because they were big and maybe burly. Well, this is where it comes into the decision of, do you play, are you going to go with your running game to try to outflank that big, burly, slower defense? Or do you switch up to more of a passing spread out offense because you want to get some of those big guys off the field and get into some of their backups that are going to be their fourth or fifth cornerback out there. I mean, I don't know which way you go because, as you noted, their backup corners and their backup nickel and all this stuff, those are guys that, that that's still who's the starting state. So he's not actually going to be back starting in some of these other spots or backing up in some of these other spots. So he's going to be one of those spots and you're going to be looking at guys that are converted wide receivers. I mean, I've seen a familiar name on here and Isaiah Hazel, who mm-hmm. was once a West Virginia commit, um, who should be starting at, uh, nickel. nickel. And he was wide receiver all through high school. And he's going to be starting at, at nickel as a, was he a sophomore? Like he's not that old. So I don't, I, I think you got to go spread and just hope that you can still get running lanes with, Letty Brown, and, and you can still outman him in the box, take advantage when the numbers are right. Really cool chess match there. Speaking of familiar names, you mentioned Isaiah Hazel, not on the two deep. Uh, you also mentioned um, Tarheep Steele, mm-hmm. not on the two deep. Former Mountaineer Joseph Bolo Patelli. Mm. Well, wait. Can we call him that? Oh, yeah, I forgot. How many different teams did he end up on in a three week span there? <laughs> can we call him former Mountaineer? <laughs> Was he ever here? I don't even remember anymore. That was such a weird summer with, with guy, him, Bryce or Bryce Brand, not Bryce Biggs. Bryce Brand was another one that came from Maryland, and I'm not ever sure that he was a real person. Um, speaking of you know, uh, and then also Osita Smith. Oh, Osita, good player. That moved, was moved to linebacker and is nowhere to be found. Um, that was supposed to be the bigger Smith in West Virginia's recruiting class, um, and then it'd be Tyke Smith. And neither one was on the roster now, but I wonder if Osita Smith is out of sight, out of mind. Um, I don't know. We'll see. Again, really, really interesting chess match there because the, I think one team has a strength that counters the other, and maybe one team has a weakness that is maybe vulnerable against the other. I'm not sure which team I'm even talking about when I say that because you could probably rearrange the the pieces so much that those advantages and those weaknesses could switch. I'm really looking forward to seeing how these teams do it. I will mention this, um, something I noticed. Last year, Maryland's splits in the second and third quarter, so the middle 30 minutes, which means adjustments they made going into the locker room and adjustments they gained coming out. I think they were outscored by 61 points in the second and third quarter. Uh, West Virginia's best 30-minute split was second and third quarter. They were, I think, plus 30. Maybe I'll look at it again. I don't have the numbers in front of me because my computer is doing the spinning wheel right now. Um, but did Neil Brown make really good adjustments going into and then coming out of the locker room? It would indicate yes because he scored more than he allowed, and the opposite is true of Maryland there. So we're talking chess matches. That's something, and that is some time to keep an eye on there. Any final 
variables for you, Chris, before we jump into our travel roster. And that was the one I was going to say. Neil Brown no. versus Mike Loxley. No, not not the not the second third quarter, but the the coaching matchup here. Um, okay, go into I, this. I don't, I, don't, I just fun. don't want to go into it because I feel like every time I I'm such a Jimmy's and Joe's guy. You know, it's, I don't know if it's the recruiting thing or what, but I always feel like if you just get the players, that will take care of 90% of the equation of being a successful football program. If you just get the players and Mike Loxley has proven time and time and time again, that's not true. That's not true. He has been an outstanding recruiter at every stop, every place he has been. He has recruited players who are way better than what many people would think should be playing at that institution. Yet he cannot win, cannot win. And I, I think, you know, when we were talking at the, at the top of this podcast about what makes this such a, a, a game where we just don't really know what to expect uh, because of the, the unknown surrounding the team, the program, the players, that's also part of it. Cause I just, I can't get over. It's hard for my head to wrap around somebody who can bring in such elite talent and have an eight and 43 head coach, eight and 43. Did, did that come through clear? Like well, that, let's, let's, let's I hold mean, on. Hold on one second. Not, now, not just because I went to bed once thinking that Mike Loxley was going to be the next head coach at West Virginia. There was a time where he was, <laughs> no, no, there was a time where I was, the whispers were in my ear um, that, he had interviewed tremendously or had impressed tremendously and that he had a lot of momentum before the Fiesta Bowl. Okay, wait, 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 wait. Let's start the clip for the video right here with me interrupting you. So you can say that again, Michael. Um, tell us again how Mike Loxley was almost the head coach of West Virginia Mountaineers football. Go ahead. Not the almost, but Chris, I can send you my book. It's covered in the book. Um, he had Give us, give us an excerpt here. He had a lot of fans, and and again, he was at Illinois, and Illinois was playing really well on offense. They had, I'm not sure, I think he might have been the the OC for the Rose Bowl team. I don't have my Mike Loxley notes up to date. I'm sorry here, but there was a time that again, I went to bed thinking like, boy, I guess this could happen. He was a fan favorite. Um, I mean, and he had interviewed well. People liked it. You know, there was a whole bunch of things that made some sense there. It was it was a appealing decision there if that was the one that was going to be made. Obviously, it didn't happen. Um, eight and forty three. Listen. Can't do anything about that. You can't you can't argue that in any other direction. I can't say that, well, it's actually worth a little bit more because he could have been the West Virginia coach. No. He was the head coach at Mexico New Mexico, right? Which not a lot of coaches have done well there. And then his eight and forty three also includes having to coach up Randy Edsel's stale leftovers. <laughs> I was hoping they'd get you started on a Randy Edsel rant for and, real quick. And that team bailed on him. Like that program bailed on him too. And you're telling me that Mike Loxley's gonna pick everything up and, and win a bunch of games and do it. Like I mean Jared Parker, good coach. Owen Six is a head coach. Are we putting that on him? No. So I'm not sure Mike Loxley is, is sliced bread. Um, I think he's the ultimate test for the Nick Saban, you know, restoration clinic. And it hasn't happened right yet. And listen, we talk about Neil Brown's now or never moment. Is it this season? Is it coming? Listen, year three, even the coaches said this, that year three in the system, you should be getting this. I think two coaches said that um, on Tuesday. Same for Mike Loxley, and he's recruited better than Neil Brown has. Um, I think 18 in the country last season. West Virginia would love to be 18 in the country this season with a really good class. And if those guys are on campus and they've had a full offseason, they can't get it going. Listen, the the, the arrow is going to be pointing at him, and, and where can where can he expect to improve 
with another good recruiting class with a Big Ten schedule. Like if it, it's got to happen sooner or later for him, and it just hasn't been such a career for him that you are sure it's coming. One one question here for you, Mike. Does that 18th ranked recruiting class provide Mike Loxley the opportunity to take seven specialists on the road with him? <laughs> All right, let's do it. <laughs> Here's what we're doing. We will we're not gonna give away our full 70 here because it, it's it's maybe not the most exciting thing to do, but we'll walk you through some of our process about how we do this. We already explained why. You can travel with 70 and you have to figure out who's gonna sit where in the bus and why. Who gets a helmet? Who doesn't? So in the past, for example, Trent Jackson went to every row game. Who's Trent Jackson? Exactly. He was like the four-string quarterback, but he called in the plays, so he went. Um, I famously wise and Chris to the game many years ago when I brought two long snappers. You have to have two long snappers for a road game because if one gets concussed, are you not going to have another long snapper because you failed to plan? That means you plan to fail. So things like that you have to take into account there. And again, if, if a receiver can also be a holder, hey, that's two spots. You don't have to worry about bringing a holder if it's a receiver. Um, so there's a process to getting to 70 here. And again, the, the reason I always did this in the past is I wanted to see where they're good where they're weak and no matter what team you do this with uh, maybe last year wasn't as fun as this year might be the 2018 team with all that star power didn't have the deepest and best roster it's just it's kind of funny how this exercise just gives you another angle at it so listening somewhere don't do it if you're driving right now but sit down at some point and try to figure out how you get to 70 what quarterbacks running backs all the way through cornerbacks and safeties are you bringing what kickers punters holders snappers are you bringing and remember, you have to cut yourself off at 70. Um, as we get into this, Chris, we have to account for at least two players, maybe three. I did not have Darrell Middleton on my 70 because he's not traveling. I actually drafted 72 players because of the cases of running back Tony Mathis, tight end Michael Lachlan, and kind of put an if-then. If Mathis doesn't play, then this. If Lachlan doesn't travel, then this. So my 70 is actually 72 I could go to 73 where I have a player who's going to travel, but if it's Middleton, this player is not going to travel. I think you did pretty much the same thing, right? Yeah, I think I had 70, and my 70 included Mathis, O'Laughlin, and Middleton, but had a couple guys on, on my sideline here that were replacements for if they were not available. Okay. So those three are traveling if they're healthy. No right. doubt about that. Um, and that means three players will travel here, at least one player, perhaps three, who otherwise are not traveling. Um, again, let's not give away the whole game, but for example, no question, Jared Dagey, Garrett Green, Will Crowder travel. Are you bringing more than three quarterbacks? No. Okay. Crowder is also your backup holder, I believe, too. And if it's not him, it's going to be a punter. So you don't have to worry about me sneaking in an extra holder or something like that, too. So I think we're okay there. Running back's interesting. Brown. Sure. Justin Johnson. Sure. Avera Sparrow. Sure. Mathis. If they're if they don't have Mathis, how do you account for that? Do you bring in someone else or do you just go with three? That was probably when I was doing my here's my 70 and then had to find replacements for Mathis, O'Laughlin and Middleton for O'Laughlin and Middleton. I had other options that I felt OK with and didn't think much about it. But running back, it took me a while. I mean, because really, once you get past those three. You're talking a walk-on. The question is, are you going to bring, bring a walk-on running back as your fourth running back? Or do you feel like you need somebody else that could possibly play you know, on special teams? 
Now, I don't know how much Mathis is involved in special teams, so I don't know if his absence is going to hurt any of those other special teams units. I don't think they are. But I – and here's another reminder for everybody. You don't have to have 70. 70 no. is the top. And we've seen them travel with 65, 63, 67. Um, so you don't have to. But I'm, I'm with you. I think you already you – already, you sent me the message with it with uh, Rucker, the walk-on running back as a fourth running back. And I think looking at my other options, that's kind of got to be the move, I think. Because he can do some special team stuff, too. He's yeah. big enough. He can that, that's the biggest reason, right? Yeah, for me. He could, he could be a blocker. Maybe he could do something on pump block. Like, if, if something happened where you had to put him or, again, hypothetically, your Owen Chafin in, you probably feel better about him, I think. Um, Mathis is typically, when I saw him in the camp, when Winston Wright was returning kicks, Mathis was the running back to his side. So if he's not the number one guy back there with Wright, He's certainly a two deep guy in there. So that's that's two holes you got to think about. That's probably going to be Justin Johnson that stands back there at Winston right now, which is a predicament. I mean, if you want to hold your breath on special teams, have the kickoff go to your best ball and hands guy on the team and rely on a true freshman on his first rep in college to block. That'll be fun. We'll see how that goes. Uh, receiver. Cut I think and dry. We had, yeah, we, I think we had the same nine. Like nine. It's kind of hard to have the same exact players when you go as high as nine uh, mm-hmm. but we had the same nine so um i ended up going with 10 no doubt offensive line and brought 12 total because i had my no doubt players hit a certain number and then i had nine left over so my no doubts were 61 players i had nine left over i used two of my nine for offensive line 12 to 14 sometimes 15 it's a big number you think but you're talking about special teams you know PAT field goal. Typically, you're going to keep your offense out there, but you know sometimes you have to have extra ones. Um, John Hughes is, is pretty valuable in that regard. I think he plays on PAT field goal as an extra offensive lineman, but 10 for sure, 12. What did you end up with? I ended up with 11. I think okay. the only one I didn't have, well, I don't want to go into too much detail, but yeah, I think uh, what Chris Mayo was on your list, not mine, and that's about it. It's the only difference. Okay. Um, and then tight end, do you bring a third one? Or excuse me, a fourth one. So I don't want to step. Up. I don't want to ask this better. What did you do? Because <laughs> okay, the Watkins a wild card here. I, I liked your move, which you can divulge if you like. But I had another. I had another interesting twist here, and I don't want to step too much on our specialist toes here. Um, because well, I guess you already mentioned bringing two two long snappers. Technically, JP Hadley and Austin Brinkman are listed as or as starting long snapper. I honestly have no clue who's going to win that battle. Um, But if it is Hadley, and even if it's not, Brinkman is your emergency tight end. He was a very good tight end in high school. He actually came to West Virginia and practiced and tried out as a tight end at camp before being pulled aside to do long snapping stuff. So I think you can... Another reason to bring another long snapper here, you bring Brinkman... And you don't have to worry about trying to kind of rush along one of these true freshmen in Traylon Davis or um, Victor Wickstrom at tight end. All right, but then what if what if he gets trucked on a kickoff return and then someone crowns J.P. Hadley? <laughs> now you're out two long snappers, Chris. You're not bringing three. I like I like it. It's a good idea. And again, that's something you had to get flexible with. Uh, if O'Loughlin plays, I'm bringing O'Loughlin, Banks, Finley, and Traylon Davis. Traylon Davis can play special teams. He's been like your number two. Um, guy on, on returns, things like that, because O'Loughlin hasn't been out there. 
he's repped it enough. I'm sure that he could handle that. And again, you're not asking to play offense. He might get in for like some goal line stuff. Um, maybe not. I don't know. Like how many times you need three tight ends. Even if a lock on doesn't play, you have Banks and Finley. But he could handle, I think, reps if something happens to the tight end in front of him. Um, if a lock doesn't play, I put Preston Fox in, who's not a tight end, but he does some valuable special teams things. You know, he could be a guy who can be a, a gunner. Um, he could be a guy who maybe can interfere on kickoff returns and block for a little bit. I don't think he's a frontline guy, but if you're looking for your most valuable player, really like my 70th, in this case, like 73rd guy, um, a reach at that point, maybe dead wrong, but that's just a guy who caught my eye again and again and again, camp. Um, anything stand out for you on offense that strong, weak, surprising that this exercise brought to the surface um i i don't want to say running back's not thin it's not i i think you know you have it's a not. stud it, you have sure. a stud at running back okay and i think you feel comfortable with your backups but we see how quickly you are like going deep into that room with one player hurt and running back is a position where guys can get hurt quick and you can end up on your third or fourth back. And if you end up on your third or fourth back, your backup at that point is a walk-on that you probably never heard of before or most people haven't heard of before. So I think that, I don't want to say it concerns me, but it's just, it's one of those positions I think we had just kind of become accustomed to over the years. I mean, not necessarily last year, but for several years before that, we kept having the discussion of, man, how are they going to split the ball around with all these running backs out there that, that we know about that have experience? And all of a sudden, now you just have one guy with experience. So it's kind of just you have an unknown. So I'm not that concerned about it, but it did kind of put us in a pickle there of what do you do? Do you do you are you okay with just three running backs or? And then uh, kind of the same thing with tight end. I mean, that room was almost non-existent just a couple years ago before they went through and tried to revamp that room, but it's still just not ready. And when O'Laughlin is hurt. I mean, no offense to Finley, but it, it, Travis Trickett said the same thing when he was talking about him, that that he was very slight when he came in to Morgantown, when he came as a freshman and had to put on some weight, get bigger. because he was more of a receiver than a, the, like more of a big inside receiver than he was a true tight end. And, and they still got to bulk him up. And he, I'm still not sure convinced that he is ready for like the blocking aspect of the college football game and being a tight end. And so you really you're left with banks because. Wickstrom and Traylon Davis, according to Trickett, aren't quite ready yet mm-hmm. to really contribute. So you really just have a young room, I think. And and again, it's just both of those are just situations where one slight, slight injury and both have been listed as game time decisions. So I'm not being led to believe that it's long term, but it it highlights, you know, kind of a lack of depth or a lack of experienced depth. They've been cagey about a lock from the start. That and that Very. injury predated camp um and mathis didn't practice on august 17 that was the first date that we were there that he wasn't there um and we weren't there for a while before that if either one of those guys isn't back yet i don't know how if they can't say right now that they're good to go i don't know how sure they can be they're going to happen and those are those are important things because listen brown is lucky they could they could run brown a lot on saturday because they're playing long island next game he's gonna play a half next week yeah Um, and that's when you can really stretch out Johnson and Sparrow, maybe Mathis if you have to. So I don't think that's a much of a worry. But, you know, if he catches a knee in the thigh or or if if uh, he pulls a hamstring or something like that, then, yeah, man, you feel a lot better with Mathis than you will with Sparrow or Johnson. And then O'Loughlin, 
listen, the tight end isn't a big part of the offense, but it is a big part of the blocking and short yardage and goal line stuff. And if they're on a second goal from the one in the fourth quarter and they don't have a lock on, are they going to put Finley in and expect Finley to block an end or an edge or something like that? That's that's kind of where you get into this this predicament there, too. So I agree. Those are my observations, too, is that positions of strength, especially relative to where they before where they were before and really not too long ago. Um it's not a far cry from from a bad or a worse situation. Not a bad situation, but a worse situation they really want. Uh, defensively, I'll go right into my surprise here. Um, not a lot of names or numbers for the defensive line for me. Um, I went with seven, actually eight, because Middleton's going to travel no matter what for me. And if he doesn't, I have somebody going in there. But really, just eight defensive linemen. And they talked about, hey, let's run nine or ten out there. You can if you have eight. And I don't know, I don't know who else you would add to that list right now beyond the no doubt picks. I think what I have, I had eight. I had eight because I was counting Carr as a the end. So I, I had him in my D line sure. list instead of Bandit. Okay. Uh, I think that's the only difference we had because yeah, I mean I added on a couple at the end, but as far as no doubters go, it was uh, what nine of those. I had nine, and that included Carr and Middleton, which would have yeah would line us up with the yeah. same nine. Thornton, uh, Jalen Thornton, Jordan Jefferson, Sean Martin, and probably to some extent, Torres Simmons, they've they've got to give them, I don't know, in excess of 12, 15 snaps. Yeah. That's a lot for them. I mean, the guys haven't played that much maybe in their career, never mind in a game or something like that. That's going to be something to ask them to do. Uh, Bandits, listen, Cowan, Bartlett, Carr, sure. Linebacker, again, just just not a lot of numbers there. Um, six for me, no doubters, and nobody else I would add outside of that. So for me... Nine linebackers, if I'm counting with your math, making car in, which is fine because I think he'll play in. Just eight, which is not a very big number. No, it's not. I think the only um, – I mistakenly and stupidly still had uh, J-Ro there. Um, I forgot he's been out, right? Yeah. Was he out? Yeah. I haven't heard a thing about him. Um, so, uh, you know, maybe that's one that I have to change before I send you my final copy here. But, yeah, uh, not not great numbers there because I think – for me, I was like, yeah, these guys are definitely playing. These guys are definitely playing. And then it was kind of like, well, I, I think I have to add this guy um, just to get to six. And it's it's tight there, tight numbers, especially at linebacker. And, and heck, cornerback's even worse, way worse. Also, don't think you had Devil Washington. I did not. Okay. I'm not, I wasn't ready to make that move yet. Maybe Maybe he's more ready than I thought, but... That's that seems like a quick transition. Which if it if it if he made that transition that quickly, that's be, even better news. I just it's hard to do that so quickly. When I say eight linebackers isn't a lot, you're like, well, Mike, they only have two spots, maybe three if you're counting the bandit. So whatever math, like six for two spots, eight for three spots, fine. They rely on linebackers a lot in special teams, and that's that's where a James Thomas and a Devil Washington are really going to help. They're not going to help on the field so much. Right. They're going to be first-team guys on probably two special teams or second-team guys on two or three special teams, and you need those players. So not a lot of linebackers. Sure, they're okay probably for a two-deep. Something happens, eh, you could live stretching out your starter and give him just a small number of steps to a backup or a third-team guy, but that, that also takes the tax out of him when he's doing special teams. And guys like you know maybe Dixon, but definitely – um, James Thomas, Devil Washington, they got to play special teams too. Corner, you're right. Finn, um, four, maybe five, you count Charles Woods. Um, I kind of Woods the spear because he's the backup spear and they just don't have another spear. So the cornerback or cornerback ish players, corner and spear, just six. And I don't know who I'd add. Yeah. I, mm, nope. 
I don't think I had anybody. I had Quay Mosby as a Who's corner. Not play defense. <laughs> yeah, right. Like that's special teams only. And and I I think, and correct me if I'm wrong here, because you've you've seen it more than I have, but I get the impression that even though Christian Woods is listed as the backup spear, he's probably also the fourth corner, maybe ahead of Ruffin. I, like I, they might go that direction with him and his experience at that position. Uh, if if they, you know, if Porter, Matthews, and Fortune, or two of those three were banged up or had to come out for whatever reason, that that Woods might be the corner opposite whoever stayed in. I think he could play like in a pass defense if it's second and twenty. Um, put him in as another corner. That they have they have plans for him and ability to use him. But would he play? The question would be if something happens to Fortune, do they just put Ruffin in, or do they put Woods there, or do they put you know Matthews over there? What happens if they have to spell? fortune or porter then would that be woods or does that compromise backup spear and pass packages that's something to keep an eye on for sure how they use woods and how they supplement their depth at that corner is pretty interesting there too uh safeties again just two spots but for me just five players uh two spots easy the backup for both is probably easy too and then you're looking at true two true freshmen who to be frank i'm going to add a third one too um three two freshmen who are depth guys cross your fingers hope we don't need them a lot and just hope they can hold up on special teams not just not a lot of numbers in that back end again. I, I thought depth would be okay. As we have this conversation and look at this numbers, there's it's a pretty thin line. Like their their front line is good. They could make a second line work. I'm not talking defensive line, I'm just saying like first team, second team. They could make it work, but for how long and for how well, I don't know. Oh, we, is it time that? to talk special teams or are we ready to wrap this up? All right. Well, let's just do the special teams then. How many do you have? I think we both have six, don't we? Yes. Just get it over with to say it. Yeah, six for me. Uh, Leg, Staley, Sumter, those are your starting kickers. I brought Brinkman and Headley, your snappers. Um, do you want to count Malashevich? Maybe, maybe not, but that's your only holder they have. Their other holders are, you know, their punter, uh, a backup quarterback. They're okay there. It's not out of control this year. So much to my chagrin, Chris, just six. Um, it just... Blew my mind to take that many because I think, especially with the versatility, with Sumster, Sumter also being a field goal kicker, um, I, I just it was hard for me to say. Yeah, you definitely got to take five or six. What, what's the point of bringing? I mean, but I guess you just go with two two field goal kickers, Staley Leg, and then punter Sumter and McGee. Uh, you know, McGee's done a little bit of everything, so got to bring him. Got to bring him. I think, and and it's and, and again. One, you don't have to bring 70, but you look around and wh- who else are you bringing? Like, I just don't see many other players on the roster that right now would come in handy during the game. Like, what what are they playing? What are they, what are they, are they going to contribute on special teams? What, what units can they help on? And there's not that many other players that I think are ready. And you know, maybe there's a walk-on or two that, that we're just not that familiar with yet that is on, like, second-team punt coverage that will travel instead, but we'll feel bad about that when we get there. Yeah. I challenge you. If you're listening, do it, sit down, see if you can fill out your 70 and, and, and condition a lot, add condition, conditionalize, condition it. Mm-hmm. Maybe I should edit that out. Include conditions. If Mathis doesn't play it, then this, if a lock doesn't play it, then this, um, if Middleton is with the 70 in the future, which by all accounts he will be, then who's out. So um, you're going to find out you have, you have no doubt players and, you know, probably between eight and a dozen. 
extra guys, extra spots. But man, filling them, that's the fun. The trick and the treat of this is trying to figure out who do you bring, who do you, who do you leave home. And sometimes it's people you don't think about. Like you're not thinking about a Quay Mosby, really important special teams player. You're not thinking about maybe, you know, a Traylon Davis, but you know, man, if they don't have Michael Lachlan, they kind of need another tight end just to have one there. That's a guy you got to bring, but to have a Lachlan Davis probably isn't traveling. So um, there's some conditions there. I, I encourage you to give it a shot. We'll release our list of 70 that we have uh, explained in some detail here sometime soon here before kickoff. Um, until then, Chris, just business and usual at the site. Yeah, we'll have, yeah, it's been a, a busy couple of days. We've had uh, mailbags up, uh, questions with our Maryland site. Uh, Mike got his hands on the Bob Huggins contract details, which uh, had a couple, uh, couple tweaks in there that I don't think people were prepared for. Um, we'll have more preview pieces coming up in the next couple of days, three key matchups. You're by the numbers. Everything else, I mean, it's it's game week. There's going to be six, seven pieces of content up on the site every single day leading up to the game, and then a bunch more after that. So uh, make sure you stick around. Stay tuned. Press F5. Stick with us until next time. Until that time, I am Mike Kazaza. And I'm Chris Anderson. Talk to you later.